I am, I'm not a, a Twitter person. Uh, a friend of mine just printed this out. Uh, said uh, a friend overheard a Twitter a conversation, put it on Twitter this morning. We used to have Steve Jobs, Johnny Cash, and Bob Hope. Today we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. So, <laughs> how appropriate. I'd ask you to take out your Bibles. The, if you brought them with you, great. Turn to Romans 5. If uh, you have to reach in the pew in front of you, there should be a, a big black study Bible. We would love to have everybody grab one. If you have to share it with somebody, that's, that's fine. And turn to Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 5. Toward the end, Romans chapter 5. If you were in the same class that I was, you might look on page 1678. Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about faith and love and and hope. We had about 80 kids this weekend receive their Bibles. They will not believe it if they don't see us living our lives out of the same book. It means we need to read this book and teach them not only what we hear, but how to do it together. Paul uh, speaks to the church at Rome, not to one person, but to the whole church at Rome. So I'd like us to do this together. We're going to read the first five verses together, and I, I deliberately had you open your Bible, and I want you to keep it open, please, but we're going to read this off the screen so that we can go back and forth. I'll start, you respond with the next verse, I'll start, you respond. We'll do the first five verses, okay? The Apostle Paul says... Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now I said our passage was Romans 1 to 5, and that was verse 6. I did it that way deliberately because I was uh, at a friend's church, an African American church, and as so often happens, they read together, and when they finished the reading, uh, some woman went on and read the first, and realized nobody else was reading. And rather than make her feel uncomfortable, Al looked out and said, oh, that's okay, it tastes so good, you just want one more bite, don't you? That's the way this is supposed to be. There's one more bite. Well, that's a bite. Verse 6 is a bite for another day, but if it is not already underlined in your Bible, please underline it now. Romans 5, verse 6, because I had a theological, uh, a theologian who said, if you just have one verse in the Bible to understand the story of God, Romans 5, verse 6 is it. Romans 5, verse 6, you see, just at the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's the good news. All of it summed up in that one verse. So it's an important verse. We want to look at the first five 
that the Apostle Paul wrote. Because it's about hope. Especially hope in suffering. Somehow, followers of Jesus are called to be holders of hope. And sharers of hope. And we want to do that together. But before you do that, as Paul said, there's a lot of false pictures of hope. And we have to sort out what hope really is. Hope can too often be promised by charlatans. They raise your hopes and say, if you just buy this, if you just go here, if you just believe that, if you just give me, and the charlatan abuses your hope. In the same way, Americans especially are an optimistic people. We're that, the sun will come out tomorrow. We're that group. And we should not confuse hope with optimism. Hope needs to be there whether the sun will come out tomorrow or not. It needs to strengthen itself in hard times. I have a uh, spiritual mentor. I see him two, three, four times a year now. And uh, his name is Leighton Ford. He's in his 80s now. And uh, he was asked to write an article on hope. I loved the definition that he gave of hope so much. I'm trying to memorize it. After 80 years, Leighton says, what is hope? He said, hope is a strong and confident trust given by the Holy Spirit and nurtured by life that the God who has promised good to us makes good on his promises through Jesus' coming and Jesus' coming again. I don't know if I got it all right, but I'm getting closer. Let's go through that one bit at a time and see if we can remember what hope is like from somebody who's lived a long life. Hope is a strong and confident trust. In other words, it is not an emotion. Hope is not a feeling. It is an act of the will. It is a choice that we make to trust. Hope is a strong and confident trust given by the Spirit, not something we create ourselves Not something we go and get, it's a gift from God and nurtured by life. In other words, when we receive hope, we can either help it grow or we can help it die. Hope is a a strong and confident trust that the God who makes promises of good makes good on his promises. What are the promises of God? We have to know what they are before we know whether he's making good on them or not. He says, the promises of God through Jesus, his coming and his coming again. Paul connects hope to the future through hard times. Paul connects, especially in difficult times, the idea that suffering should not be wasted. He says in this passage, we also find glory in our sufferings. It says we glory in our sufferings. It means we find glory. We find the presence of God even in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. We learn to hang on. And endurance produces character. And our changed life, our new character, brings us hope. And hope does not disappoint us or In your translation there, the last thing I'd like you to underline is that next verse. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. Would you underline that? Hope 
does not put us to shame. So that the next person who reads Romans 5 will say that you know something about hope. That it is not an emotion, it's a trust. That it's there for the hard times and it does not put us to shame. Hope is a gift from God that connects our faith in God to an uncertain future. Hope is a bridge to the future, especially in hard times. The only way we get faithfully to the future is by hope. And sometimes the bridge is swaying in the storm. So hope isn't something that you believe so much as something that you experience in the storm. Hope is a bridge to the future, but it works only if it's not put up in the wrong place. If hope is a bridge to the future and you end up in the wrong spot, it was a false hope. A friend of mine, uh, several years ago, talked about a bridge in Honduras. It's called the Choluteca Bridge in Honduras, and it's in a part of the country that is ravaged by storms. Let me show you what the bridge used to look like. See it there? One of the many times that the bridge washed out or was destroyed because the incompetent and corrupt government could not protect the people and the bridge from the storms. So finally, the Japanese government gave them a new bridge. Built this beautiful bridge that was strong enough to stand any storm and then watched people cross it over and over. And then came Hurricane Mitch, 1998. Devastation, huge loss of life. But the bridge stood in its place. There was just one problem. The bridge stood, but the river moved. (laughs) Isn't that an unbelievable picture? Our hope must be rooted in the right place. Or we end up in the river. It is not American optimism. It is not just try a little harder. It's not even hang on. Our hope must be placed in the idea that the God who makes promises to you makes good on his promises. Through Jesus' coming and through Jesus' coming again. The only hope that really will last is the reality of God coming for you. God coming for all of us. We talk about the sacrificial love of Jesus as a means to show that God shows up and he comes for you. And the experience of the body of Christ, the church in this world, gives tinges of hope and points to the world to come. But the Apostle Paul says, do not kid yourself. If Christ has not risen from the dead, you are fools. And your hope is in vain. You have placed your hope in the wrong spot and you will fall into the river. That's why, at the end of the day, it's imperative to know in what your hope lies. I'm with the writer of the old hymn that Rich had us sing again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Hope is a gift of God. Don't accept any substitutes. And he promises. It is a gift of God. And then, and then Leighton said, but it's not just a gift of God, it's something that is nurtured in life. Or something that you receive 
that then dies because you don't know how to deal with it. We're going to talk about this for six weeks. I don't want to take too long at this time. I just want to say two things about hope. The first is that the way we receive the gift of hope from God is to mine for it and bring it to the surface of God's word. The reason we gave these Bibles to the second graders is because we believe they are filled with hope and they do absolutely nothing if they stay closed. Your children will not receive hope if they don't see you mining the word for hope. God's word speaks to us of hope. And it is mined in the good times so that it's there in the hard times. I have a pastor friend who has become a, a grandfather. The good news, he's the grandfather. The bad news, his son is not in the picture. So he is helping to raise this child without his son, his grandson. And uh, I said, how's it going? He goes, I had no idea how much sleep I would lose again. He said, I hold him and put him to bed. As soon as I get to sleep, I hear the wailing start up again. And I go into the room and he said, but you know what I hold on to? For me, it's Psalm 33:18. You know it, Right. I'm a pastor. I have to fake it. I mean, I have to say, uh, 3318, what does your translation say? When somebody says, do you know this verse? You say, what does it say in your translation? He says, well, the baby is squealing in the middle of the night. And and I look down and I I, I pick him up. And I say to him, Psalm 3318. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. And I say that to the baby again. And if he's still screaming, I say, on his unfailing love. And if that doesn't work and he's still awake, I say, but the eyes of the Lord are on all who fear him. On those whose hope is in his unfailing love. And I say it again and again and again until one of us falls asleep. He has mined for God's word. I would urge you to do the same. Not just to read it, not just to underline it, but take tiny bits of it. Not big chunks, tiny bits of it, and let it be God's word of hope to you. I stink at this. My wife is laughing now because when we were growing up with the girls, we would have little contests around the dinner table, and we would have a card that would have the verse you were supposed to read, and it would be like, Katie would go... uh, for the wages of sin is death, and Maggie would go, but the free gift of God is, and they turned to me and I'd go, uh, Jesus? <laughs> because it was hard for me to memorize. And they would do it easily, and it would sink in, and Laura would help them mine the depths. I, I don't have as much as I should, but I've got a couple close to heart. And sometimes when I go to the hospital or I visit a friend who's dying, I put my hand in theirs, and I said, I don't know much. But I have become absolutely convinced of this. Absolutely convinced. That nothing in all of creation, neither principalities nor powers, neither angels or demons, neither hell nor heaven, neither angels nor any principality, nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Savior. That's Romans chapter 8. I have become absolutely convinced that nothing will separate us from the love of God. And I don't need to remember that Sunday morning when the sun is shining. 
I need to remember in the middle of the storm. So mind the Bible for hope in times of need. And the second, I guess I'd say that uh, hope has power because it's God's gift of love poured into our hearts. It says that hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given into us. God pours love into our hearts to give us hope. But God's hope, God's love, is a lot like manna. You remember manna from the Old Testament? It was the the miraculous bread that God used to feed the Israelites out in the desert. Every day they'd wake up and there would be manna all over and they'd pick it up and eat it. Manna literally means, what is this stuff? And they would pick it up and eat it and each day they would have just enough for that day. And God said, don't save this stuff. I'll give you more tomorrow. But sometimes people would say, well, what if God doesn't show up? And they would take extra manna and put it in their bag, put the bag in the tent and wake up to find the bag and their tent filled with maggots. Because saved, manna rots. I got to tell you, I feel like God's love is the same way. I feel like hope is the same way. If you bring it in and bring it in and bring it in and don't let it get out, it goes bad. It turns into laws. It turns into self-righteous, arrogant people. It turns into Presbyterian... It turns into people... Who know too much and do too little. Hope is either shared or it goes bad. So I, I just want to leave you with one, uh, one or two thoughts about how you share hope. Very practical stuff. Here we share it in Al-Anon and in AA and in support groups about pornography and in other groups dealing with the pain of divorce and we gather together so the first thing that hope does is it just shows up. You can't share hope if you don't show up. The first thing is if you see someone who needs hope, show up and then two, shut up. The problem is that Americans want to show up and give advice. They want to show up and solve the problem and instead we need to show up and let God speak through our presence and not through our advice. The second thing that I think brings hope to people is when you show up, instead of giving advice, give service. Find a way to serve somebody. Some tangible sign of lightening their burden just a little bit. And if hope shows up and shuts up and serves instead of giving advice, hope makes sure that instead of answers, it provides humility. The thing that gives hope to people is not your faithfulness or your arrogance. It's your humility. I'm a little embarrassed because so many of you are so good at bringing hope better than I am. But when Laura and I were in another church, um, we were preaching through the Beatitudes. And one day it was my turn to preach. and, um, And I said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And Ruth met me at the door, and uh, uh, little old Ruth was a widow, and she said, I miss Bill. I miss him so much. I hope you're right. And she went off, and and somewhere through the week, I'm driving somewhere, and I just remembered Ruth, and I'm close by, so I I literally, I just stopped at her house, knocked on the door, and said, hey, Ruth, just wanted to give you a hug. Just wanted, just wanted to give you a hug. Remember? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That was Bill. 
Bill sees God. That's all I did. I hugged her and I left her. Well, toward the end of the week, we got word that Ruth had fallen down the stairs, slipped into a coma, and died. And uh, went to be with Bill. Went to see Jesus, went to be with Bill. And uh, uh, we had the pleasure of doing the, the memorial service and And afterwards, uh, Laura and I saw this card that Ruth had written after my visit and uh, that I didn't read until after her death. Just a real quick note, like my real quick visit, and it said, uh, Blessed are the debonair, because they stopped by for five minutes. (laughs) That was it. We are called to be hope givers because you never know what will happen next. Some of you today are in the middle of the storms. You're just barely hanging on. You desperately need to believe in this hope stuff. Others of you are in a season that is good, and you are hopeful, and you need to open your eyes to the people around you who desperately need a call, or a card, or a bag of groceries, and who believe that God's people bring God's hope to a hurting world. Who are you today? Do you need hope or do you need to share it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my uh, friends here who now are going to run out into a crazy fall afternoon and, and maybe we'll remember very little of what they saw or sung or heard here today. But my prayer is that when they come again to suffering, they will find the glory of God in their suffering because it will produce endurance. They will get through it. And as they endure, they will be changed into a different character that is more like yours. And that character will produce Not for their circumstances, but hope for that soul. And they will be bringers of your hope to a world in desperate need. So to those who ache, we bless you with the hope that will never let you go. To those of you who walk out with hope, we pray that God God will open the eyes of your heart that you might see those around you who need hope so that all the children of God may bless all the needy of God and the glory will go to the only God.